Good morning to everyone online, those listening. It's great to be together again. And uh, yeah, I tell you, it's been so great just singing these songs about, about freedom and about confidence in God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The series we're doing this month is about to test our freedom and our confidence in God. Amen. But before we dive into the Word, just a, a couple of very quick announcements. I just want to reinforce what my wife said, said earlier on to you parents, those of you here, parents watching, uh, make an effort to make sure your kids are here for Children's Church. By the way, they're going on already in the back. If you want to take her through, they're going on already, okay? But anyway, so, so kids, you know, if 2 to, to 13, 14, um, 13, okay, primary school, all right? So make sure they, they are there. And parents, you know, it's part of our training. You know, the Bible doesn't say send your kids to church. Just take them because training means you go with them. And it's part of our privilege as parents. I really encourage all parents, guys, if you're watching, make sure next Sunday or yes as well with your kids. If, of course, if you're in the neighborhood. So it's very important. I also want to remind you guys, we are doing this series on, on finances, on money matters this month. But remember, on the 18th of February, we're going to give you something practical as well. So on the 18th, we'll be doing a budgeting seminar. It'll be on a Saturday afternoon from 1 to 4 p.m. And I really encourage everybody to attend this, even if you do have a budget in, in place. I find that every time I, I, I listen or I read about budgeting, there's always a new idea, a new perspective. It, something gets brought back into focus. So no matter how wonderful your budget is, and I know some of you don't even know what the word budget means. So especially you need to be here, okay? But I tell you something, a lot of people are getting into trouble these days for the simple reason they haven't got a working budget. So we're going to give you something practical and give you some ideas and some help on doing budgeting. It's going to be Bible-based. Did you know the Bible talks about budgeting? <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that, all right? So that's going to be on Saturday, the 18th of February from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, it is free, okay? It's going to cost you nothing, but you need to register for it, okay? Because we're going to have a little pause in between with some refreshments, and so we need to know who is coming. At the back of it there, some of you have put your names down already, but please, at the end of the service, if you are interested in coming, put your name down there so that we can plan for the people coming. And uh, I encourage couples to come together. Because if one of you come, and then that, the one that comes gets home, and, and then you talk in different languages. So it's important for both of you to be here. Both of you have the same thing. Then you can talk about it. You can expand it. You can process it back home. Amen? The, uh, the presenter will be... Carlos Martins is my wife's brother. My brother-in-law is right there at the back there. And uh, uh, he, he knows what he's talking about. And I've invited him, not because of his personal qualification. Look, he's very really qualified to, to do this. He's the co-founder and director of Change Financial Solutions. And, and many, many years, he's got many years of, uh, of experience in financial markets and, and risk management and so forth. But he's not going to talk about that. The reason I invited him to do this is that over the last 40 years, I've, I've seen him grow in, in the biblical knowledge of finance handling and budgeting. He's very good at this, all right? And he doesn't do it just with a, a worldly perspective. He does it with a biblical foundation. And so he's going to share some of these ideas with you. And so I really encourage you to come and to attend and to be enriched and challenged in this area. Amen. So 18th of February, on Sundays I'm going to give you some theology, but on the 18th you're going to get some practical stuff. You're going to get some biblical background as well, but some real practical stuff that you can go and do at home. Amen. And of course, don't forget at the end of the service, 
coffee is back. So enjoy coffee and some time of fellowship after the service. Okay, let's dive into our message. Welcome to our new series, Money Matters. And we're talking about money matters because, as you probably know, money matters, right? <laughs> and you can't live without some use of money. And so we're going to be talking about money matters. And, and it's really going to be a talk about money and positions. It's not, about, not just about rands and cents. It's about positions. And it's about who you are. We're going to talk a lot about that. Now you say, Pastor, but why talk about money in church? We, we, we come to church to hear spiritual truths, to hear about God and the kingdom of God and, and eternity. What on earth does money have to do with my salvation and my eternal life? Good question. Thank you for asking. I tell you what, money has everything to do. It's got more to do than what you think with your salvation and eternal life. Did you know that the Bible has over 2,000 verses, over 2,000 verses dealing with money and positions? There are more verses about money and positions than verses about faith and about prayer put together. And faith is important, right? And, and prayer is important, right? If you take all the verses about prayer and all the verses about faith, you put them together, it is still less than half of the verses dealing with money and positions. So yeah, I, I, I think these things matter to God, right? Jesus had much to say about money and positions. Did you know that half of his parables, you know those stories that Jesus told that to teach the people, half of his parables had to do <laughs> with money and positions. And Jesus is the one who said, well, let me, let me share it with you. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Luke 16, verse 11. Jesus said, So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, in other words, money and possessions, okay? If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? You see, there are things in this world and in this life that are more important than rands and cents, than houses and cars. But if you're not faithful with worldly riches, if you're not faithful with rands and cents and houses and cars, who will trust to you true riches, spiritual riches, high power riches? Now, this is Jesus speaking. So, yes, money is really all that important to God. Our handling of our possessions is really all that important to God and is linked to our spiritual life. And so I hope that as we go through these, these, these sermons, through this series, I hope it will align your thinking. For some of you, it's going to be old news. Some of you have heard all this before. You're going to hear it again and hopefully realign your life. To some of you, some of these things might be new. You might say, what is that in the Bible? <laughs> yes, it is. But I hope it will challenge all of us to realign our lives, especially in the days we're living in. Because we're going through some tough times, aren't we? And it is so difficult when we go through tough times for us to separate our spirituality from our money and positions. And we think they don't link. And so in our spirituality, we, we, we pray and we, and we trust God and maybe we read our Bible and maybe we go to church. 
But then in our money and positions, we, we just make sure we gather all we can and we put it in a can and then we sit on the can that nobody else can get it from us because we think there is not enough to go around. And so we separate the material from the spiritual. But as you're going to see, the mater- material and spiritual is all linked up. It is one, really. Okay, we must give attention to everything uh, together. So, let me give an overview of what, what you're going to be doing. Today we're going to talk about stewardship. In part one, it's called We Are Stewards, and we're going to look about stewardship. We're going to define what stewardship is, and we're going to talk about what we really own. And just now I'm going to ask you to just make a little mental list, a little inventory of what you own. And then next week, we're going to look at the importance and the purpose of stewardship. So if today we're talking about stewardship, and if, 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 it, if we are stewards, and if stewardship is important, why isn't it important? I'm not telling you that today. I'm telling you that next week. And so next week, we're going to find out why stewardship is important. A message called, Payday is Coming. Amen? What we do with our positions today determines our rewards tomorrow. Okay? And we will dive into one of the parables of Jesus and we're going to mine some important truths for our lives today. Then in part three, we will take a look at two opposing views within the church concerning finances in a message called Prosperity and Poverty Gospels. Man, I'm looking forward to that. Because you see, the the same people with the same Bible, with the same gospel, Everybody reading the same book, and one group says, oh, the Bible says we shouldn't own anything. We must just trust God. Live by faith because God will provide. Hallelujah. Another group reads the same Bible, the same verses, and say, hey, listen, if you believe in God, you've got to be prosperous, man. You've got to have money in your pocket. You've got to have cars. You've got to have houses. You've got to be rich, man, because the Bible says so. <laughs> Which one is right? Huh? And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you that one and finding out about the prosperity and poverty gospels. Man, it's going to be fun. Then in part four, we will talk about some practical aspects and some ways of tying all this together in a message called Co-Workers with God. You see, every believer, every one of us, every one of you and me, we are all called to serve the Lord. You know, serving God isn't about missionaries and pastors and preachers and evangelists. Serving God is for every believer, every Christian, every follower of Jesus. We all need to serve God with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. All of us. And so in that message, you're going to talk about some of these uh, aspects, you see? And it's going to be good. You're going to look at some of the things. Now, if you've been around Awakened Life Church for a while, you know that uh, we don't put pressure here on people to give. When you come to church on Sundays, you don't hear every single Sunday a 10 to 20 minute talk to encourage you, coerce you, put a guilt trip on you to give a bigger offering, a better offering. You you, you don't hear that. I mean, I know your church is like that. I've been, I've visited church like that. You sit over there and, you know, that that money you had planned for lunch, you kind of feel you've got to give it to the church, otherwise God is going to condemn you, you know. They put fear in you, they put guilt on you. You know, and you've got to do this. And every single Sunday, you, you don't hear that around here. And that's because I don't like to sit under that kind of manipulation. And if I don't like it, I don't think you like it. 
And so I don't do it to you. Why? Because I trust in you. I trust that as people begin to learn the ways of God, they become responsible themselves. Because you see, if I've got to come here every single Sunday and force a couple of extra rand out of your pocket for the church, what use is that? Because you are giving, because I'm making you feel guilty. I'm putting you on a guilt trip. Or I'm trying to get you to see things that you don't see. What value is that? It's like I often say, a guy comes to church and, you know, he's got 10 rand to give to church and he's got 60 rands for a, you know, a Big Mac after church. But then the pastor says, you've got to give to God, you know, because, you know, people hear the gospel and it is your responsibility. Blah, 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 blah. So the guy takes his 10 bucks and his 60 bucks and he puts it in the offering basket. And as the offering basket goes by, all he sees is his hamburger going down the aisle. <laughs> and he's feeling so sorry for himself. You see, he did not give with joy. And the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver. I, I, I want to see people give you a joy. And the boss comes, oh, hallelujah, oh yeah. <laughs> That's it. And, and yet, let's face it, there's no lack of room to Because you know, <laughs> your budget, and of course, we're in February. We, we're going to hear the budget speech anytime, any day now. And they're going to increase this and increase that. And, inc- and you're going to see your income is going to go. <laughs> and then you say, how on earth can I give to God? When I don't have so much. And since God owns it all, why on earth must I give to God? <laughs> you know? And these are the things you have to deal with, folks. But I'm not going to put that pressure on you. And so I want you to understand that. I believe that bringing your tithes and offerings to the Lord is an act of worship. It's something you understand and you do it with joy and you plan your life around that. You know, that's why it's important to have a budget. Because if you don't have a budget... You're only going to think about giving to the Lord when somebody says, it's time for the offering. You go, oh my goodness, and you open your wallet and there's only money for the hamburger there. And what do you do now? But if you have a budget, you plan for that. You plan to give to the Lord. You plan for the hamburger. And everybody's happy. And you're going to learn about how to do that. Oh, but my money's not enough. You do have enough. You're going to find out this month. You do have enough. And if you come on the 18th, it's really going to help you to plan your money so that you have control of your money and not the other way around. You're not being controlled by money. Amen? Oh, this is going to be good, man. It's going to be good. But now as we start this series, I, I, I just want to thank you guys. I want to thank you as a church. Those of you here, those of you online, I want to thank you guys as a church for your giving. Because... You know, we, we receive from people that attend over here, and many of you give online. We receive from uh, those of you watching online as well. You're far from, from Pretoria, but you're still giving some of you overseas, and you still give. And we want to thank you for your giving. Because remember, you're not giving to me. You're not giving to Awaken Life Church. You're giving to the Lord, to this expression of the body of Christ and this work of the Lord. And I want to, to thank you. And, uh, and, and may the Lord continue to bless you and encourage you. And I hope that this series is going to give you even more motivation to continue giving and give you more perspective and understanding of what you're actually doing when you give to the church, when you give to the work of the Lord. That you understand, you can, you can make sense of what is happening. Amen? And so I want to thank all those who are giving on a regular basis. Now, I also want to remind you, Awaken Life Church, of what we can do, what you can do 
when we stand together and trust the Lord to help us. In our church, we have our main account that, you know, expenses go, come from, the money goes in, comes out. But we also have a, a loan account. We took this many years ago when we did the building at the back here. And, and it's a loan account which is, which is flexible. It is there. Okay? Money is there. And we use that for, like, for special projects, for emergencies. Then we kind of dive into that. We go a little bit into it. Then you kind of pay it off again. And usually we go into that account and, 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 and very quickly, within a few months, we come out of it again. But in 2017, when we did the upgrade of the whole year, we did the rebranding and so forth, we went in quite deep into that account. And we were hoping, oh, you know, within a year, year and a half, we'll kind of recover from that. But we didn't. Came 2019, we were almost at the bottom of this account. This account uh, is an amount, we, we can go up to 200,000 Rand into this account. That's a loan account. Came in 2019, about the middle of the year, we were in trouble. You know, enough money wasn't coming in, and this loan account was deep in, and we were in trouble. So in September 2019, I came to you, and we launched, I don't know if you remember, the 200K challenge. And the challenge was this, between September 2019 to February 2020, can we raise 200,000 rand to recover that loan account? Over and above your tithes and your regular offerings, can we give a little bit extra together and recover 200,000 rand in six months? And I put the challenge out and, and many of you signed up for it. And some of you gave in monthly installments. Some of you gave like a, a one-time lump sum and so forth. And in February of 2020, I had the joy of coming here to you and with much gratitude tell you that we had met our target. We had recovered our loan account. And we rejoiced in the Lord. That was February 2020. And then March 2020 came around. <laughs> All right. And of course, pandemic, people losing jobs, and, 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 and you see, because you gave faithfully, we were able to surf and surface and sustain our church during the pandemic. There were many unexpected things. Some people had to be helped with groceries. Contingency plans had to be made. Many expenses were incurred. We had to go online with our church services, and all that incurs extra costs. But because we had been faithful, we had that cushion, and we were able to pull through these last years. And we could ride that difficult time. And I work in Life Church. I just wanted you to have this story of victory in your mind as we launch into the series. I want you to remember and rejoice in what we can do when we stand together, when we trust God together, and when we give together. And many of you are so blessed and it was a joy for you to give. And once again, I thank you for that. And that is why we need to understand what the Bible has to say and why the Bible talks so much about finances and about positions. We need to understand, people. And so today, in part one, the message is, we are stewards. We are stewards, okay? It's a message about perspectives. It's a message about attitudes. See, per uh, money is outside. But what we do outside is based on what, what goes on inside. 
And so inside, we must have a perspective about money. We must have an attitude towards money. And that's what today is all about. If we can change how we think, if we can change how we look at the world around us, it can change just about anything in our lives. So perspective is important. Not about money, but about everything in our lives. I want to share a couple of principles on perspectives with you. Here's one. Take note of these principles. Here's one. What you see is who you will be. Maybe you need to, to write this down somewhere. What you see is who you will be. The way you see the world, the way you, you see things around you. If you think the cake is only so big and there is no more, you're going to think a certain way, you're going to react a certain way. If you think the cake is bigger, it's going to change the way you act. If you think the cake is huge, <laughs> it's definitely going to change how you behave. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But what you see is who you will be. In other words, you don't see, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. My perspective causes me to look at things, to look at people, look at situations, look at the world, look at the country, look at finances, look at my own life. The way I look at it determines what I will be and how I will handle it. Very important. For example, I, I told you in, in, in part three, I'm going to look at prosperity and poverty theology. There you go. It's the same word, the same Bible. But one group of people sees one thing, another group sees something else. Why? Perspective. You see? One group has one perspective, and when they read the Bible, that's what they see. And then that's what they become, and that's how they act, and that's what they do. Another group reads the Bible, has another perspective, and that's how they see, that's how they act, and that's how they become. What you see is who you will be. Here's another principle. Write this one down. When we change the way we look at things, the things that we look at change. When we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. You see, our problem is we don't want to change. <laughs> we want to change everything and everybody. Husbands and wives, how often have you tried to change your spouse? How's that working? But maybe if you change the way you look at your spouse things might change. Things will change. Huh? <laughs> the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. That's in Proverbs. And in the book of Romans, we are called to renew our minds with the word of God that we may know and explore the will of God. See, the Bible itself encourages us to review our thinking to renew our minds, and to align our thinking with the principles of the Word of God. The problem is we grew up in the secular world. We are bombarded through the media, through friends, through school, through everything. We're normally bombarded with this world's ideas, with the news, and all that kind of stuff. And that's the way we begin to see everything around us. The Bible says, ah, 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 wrong program. Reprogram your mind. Let the Word of God program your thinking and begin to look at the world and have a perspective which is informed by the word of God. And that includes how we relate to money and possessions. So how do you relate to money and possessions? How do you relate to finances? How do you relate to the things that you own? 
You see, your perspective, your attitude will determine how you relate to the stuff that you've got. So let me ask you, what do you own? Don't say it out loud, please. Give it quiet, all right? But I want you right now, as, as, as I'm speaking now, just, just quietly, just, just quickly, just, just run a mental note. What do I own? Think of all the houses you own, all the cars you own, all the properties, all your investments, you know, and, 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 and the wife and the husband and the kids and the cats and the dogs, you know, all the stuff that you've got. What do you, a quick, quick mental listen. For some of you, it's going to be pretty quick. For some of you, it's going to take a while. <laughs> but you've got stuff. We all have stuff. All right? So, so think about it. Yeah? What is your stuff? Tools and so on. And so in, in this Money Matters series, we're going to talk about not only about money, but about positions and about your life as a whole. Are you thinking about what you possess? Okay? Do you think you own a lot? A little? Do you wish you had more? Do you wish you had less? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people, they start with a little, then they go to a lot and they say, no, oh, I wish I had a little again, you know, because it's so much easier to live with little. Anyway, do you think you own a lot? Do you think you own enough? How do you relate to what you have? So let's go. Let's look at perspectives. Jesus thought about it in one of his parables. Do you remember that story of Jesus in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? All right. When people want to know, you know, who, who's my neighbor? And you find this in, 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 in John, in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, verses 30, 30 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. I'm not going to read it, you know the story. This guy's going down the road and he gets mugged. Thieves come, they take all his stuff and they leave him for dead. They beat him up, leave him for dead. And so a priest and a Levite, they come past and they see the guy, but they kind of walk on the other side and, and, and move on and, and leave the guy there. And then the Samaritan comes along, and he sees the same guy, but instead of passing by, he, he goes, goes over to the guy, and he, and he looks at him with his wounds, and he puts some stuff in his wounds, bandages his wounds, puts the guy in his animal. We don't know if he had a donkey, a horse, a camel, I don't know, but he had some, some animals. He puts the guy on the animal, takes him to the nearest inn, treats him there, and then the next morning when he leaves, he leaves some money for the innkeeper. I says, listen, please continue looking after the guy. And when I come back on my way back, I'll stop here and I'll, I'll pay you any, any extra money that you use. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says to the people listening, so of these three, between the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, which one, which one of them looked after his neighbor? Which one was a neighbor to the guy that got mugged? And everybody said the same thing. Oh, the Samaritan? Because he showed mercy. And Jesus said, right. Now you guys go and do the same. <laughs> you guys go and do the same. You see, in, in the story, there are three attitudes about positions which surface in the story. And I, I want you to understand that and to see that. Let's go to the first one. The first one, of course, is the first part of the story. The thieves. They had a perspective about positions. And here is a perspective. Number one, what is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. <laughs> okay? What is yours is mine. I'm going to take it. That's it. Okay? Now, I, I, I hope none of you have this attitude. You know, you're sitting in church, you know, and usually church people don't have this attitude. 
Although not everybody in church that supposed in church doesn't mean, uh, never mind. Okay, uh, let's move on. Okay, but the fact is, you don't want people like this in your life. When when they come to visit you in your home, when they leave, your stuff, or at least some of it, goes with them. They visit churches too. Even us, we've had one or two people with this kind of attitude visiting us, and then when they leave, some of our stuff goes with them. Nobody wants people like this around them. And listen, we don't want to be such people, amen? These thieves attacked the guy and they took what he had. They just took it because of their perspective. Their attitude is, what is yours is mine. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And that's a big problem with this perspective and their mindset. It's the way they looked at the world. And, and, and the unfortunate are still people like that today. And, and they think like this. They think, you are more privileged than I, therefore I am entitled to what you've got. Thank you. And off they go. They say, you have more stuff than I, therefore I can help myself to some of your stuff. I mean, you've got so much anyway. Why do you need so much stuff? I've got, I need some. They say, hey, you've got a job and you can buy more stuff. I don't have a job, so I'm going to help myself to your stuff because you can just go ahead and buy more because you've got a job. You know, I don't. You see the attitude there? The boss is so rich. The boss is too much. You won't notice if I take a few of these things. Be it, you know, stuff to take home for myself, whatever. He's got so much. You won't notice. Oh, I found a lost wallet. <laughs> I'll take the money and then I'll just discard the rest. You see, that's a perspective, people. What is yours is <laughs> mine. And I'm going to take it. <laughs> nice. I've got some stuff too. Like it. Mm. Okay. Ever feel that way about God? You know, we, we, we talk about thieves and so on, but hey, wh what about how we feel about God? God, he doesn't need my stuff. I mean, if God needs stuff, he can just create it. Why on earth does he need my offering? Why on earth does he need my tithe? I mean, that tithe means so much more to me than to God. You know what? God, what's yours is mine. I think I'll, I'll just keep it. Why must I give it? It's an attitude, you see? It's an attitude. And what we do out here begins inside here, in our hearts, in our minds. And so we say, no, I'll just keep all of my stuff. God doesn't need it. No one will miss my small contribution. Church is having a 200K campaign. My goodness, all I can give is 50 bucks. What is 50 bucks when they're trying to raise 200,000? I'll just keep it. Do you know that we made that 200,000 because a number of people gave little amounts? And if enough people give little amounts, it becomes a big amount. It's so interesting, oh, that brother, that sister, man, they make big money, they can give, uh, they, they can give a thousand, they can give two thousand, uh, me, fifty bucks. Uh. When we bought this church, this building, back in the 90s, I remember in middle of the week, one prayer meeting, I just announced the church, listen, we are thinking of buying this church, this property has come up, we, we're thinking about it, praying about it, and we don't have any money in the bank. Because before, we, when, when you realize we need to get a property, what we did is we had a few a few thousands in our bank account we took that money and we gave it to a church in Swaziland that we were supporting at the time they needed a, a roof for the church we gave them the money for the roof so you know what we need we need a whole church and we can't do anything with these few thousand rands but that church they can put a roof on the church with these thousand rands so we gave that money away <laughs> and now we've got nothing and now we want to buy a building 
And so when I shared this with the church in a prayer meeting, we hadn't even closed the deal yet. One sister comes at the end of the meeting and says, Pastor, I'm so excited about this, but all I've got is 50 bucks. Can, can I put this down already for the, the church? Says, my sister, praise God, welcome. So this church started with, oh, 40 bucks. 40, oh, not, sorry, not 40 bucks. This church started with 40 bucks. And then thereafter, people said, you see, every little bit counts. But then we must understand, it's not ours, it's for the Lord. If I say, ah, man, what, what can I do with this? <laughs> I can use 40 bucks. I can do a lot of things with 40 bucks right now for me. Perspective. Okay? Well, let's go on to the second perspective. Let's go. The second perspective in the story is this. Number two. What is mine is mine. And I'm going to keep it. Uh, that was the priest and the Levite. Two men who had been trained to serve. It was part of the job description. To serve, to have mercy, to help. And yet they come along and they see the guy and they've got stuff. They've got time. They've got knowledge. They've got some goods which they can use to help the man. But they don't do it. And it's easy for us here to sit today yeah, in 2023 and judge the priest and the Levite. But wait, isn't that sometimes our attitude? You see, I don't think we've got many people in church with the first attitude. You know, that, that belongs out there in the world. But this second attitude, I think a lot of us in church tend towards this attitude. You know, we judge them, but it's perhaps the attitude most prevalent amongst Christians. We can all relate to this attitude. You know what? It's an attitude birthed out of, of selfishness and out of fear. If I give it away, what about me? You know, what about my family? What about my kids? What about my wife? What about me? You know, it's, it's, it's out of a lack of understanding of how things work. You heard about the father. You know, he, he went to the movies and, and he bought his son a packet of popcorn to watch the movies. And the son is eating his popcorn. And, and during the movies, dad says, oh, that popcorn looks good. And so he stretches his son out to take a popcorn and enjoy a popcorn with his son. The son grabs the father's hand says, no, dad. My popcorn. My popcorn. Yeah. You see, a couple of things this little boy doesn't understand. First of all, this little boy was showing that he's selfish. You know? And, and aren't we all in some way or another? Huh? We are born in sin, people. And selfish is inherent in all of us. And learning to give up selfish behaviors is part of the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. Amen? That boy was selfish. Number two, that boy did not understand <laughs> that the father was a source of popcorn. Where did that popcorn come from? From dad. That boy has no power, no ability of generating funds and getting popcorn. He depends on his dad for popcorn. The only reason the boy is having popcorn is because dad got it for him. His dad has the power of buying a whole sack of popcorns and bury him in popcorns if he wants to. Dad has the power, not the boy. <laughs> Smart popcorn. Huh? He doesn't understand that if the father wants to, the father can take the popcorn away from him. It's not his. The father gave it to him. The father paid for it. It's the father's popcorn. 
that he's giving his son the privilege of enjoying. What the boy doesn't understand is that the father doesn't need the popcorn. If dad wanted popcorn, he could have gone out and, and bought his own packet or two or three. What the dad wanted was to share a moment with his child, sharing the popcorn together. Huh? That's what he wanted. But that disturbing behavior shows the selfishness. Now, uh, this is a fictitious story, by the way, okay? Any, any re- resemblance, resemblance of this behavior with anyone you might know is, is purely coincidental, okay? It's just a fictitious story. But it's not a reflection of how sometimes we behave as well with stuff. It's mine. And so, folks, we all have to fight a selfish attitude. You see, selfish people cheat themselves. Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. Look, look at this. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. One person gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You want to be refreshed? Refresh others. You want to be blessed? Bless others. Learn to let go. Learn to give. Amen? But every day, most people are focused on themselves. What am I going to get today? What about me? So we, we, we stress about what you're going today. But you see, to get, you have to give. Remember that the kingdom of God works on the law of the farm. You've got to sow if you want to reap. All right? You can't just go around just, just gathering from other people's fields. That's the first attitude. What <laughs> chose is mine, and I'm going to get it. I'm going to keep it. No, no. Law of the kingdom is you plant, and then you reap. You give first. You give. Give the seed. Put it down. And then in time, you will reap. It's not a matter of, ha- of having a, a lot or a little. Some people have little and they're selfish. Some people have a lot and they're selfish. Some people have a little and they give. Some people have a lot and they give. It's a matter of perspective, of attitude. Amen? So let's look at the third attitude in this parable. Number three. Here's the third attitude. What is mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. And this was the attitude of the Samaritan. Now, he, he saw that the guy had been robbed. He stopped. He gave off his time. He, he, he patched the guy's wounds. He put him on his animal. He took him there. He, he gave of his time, of his talent, of his money. He took care of him. Paid for his accommodation. And this is the attitude that Jesus commended and encouraged. Both the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they saw the same man, but the attitude was different. For the priest and Levite, maybe they thought, man, what will happen to me if I go there? Maybe I'll be mugged. And it's such an inconvenience for me to help this guy now. I'm in a hurry. I've got stuff to do. I've got to get back home, whatever. Whereas the Samaritan, I wonder what he thought. Maybe he thought, man, what's going to happen to me if I don't go there? If I keep on doing this, my heart's going to harden to the point where I, don't, I won't care about people anymore. What's going to happen to him if I don't go there? He could die. And so it brought him to action. And he did something. So I wonder, where are you this morning? Which is your attitude? What is yours is mine, I'm going to take it like the thief, or what is mine is mine, I'm going to keep it, like the selfish person. 
or what is mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. That's generous. But there are three attitudes mentioned in the parable, but I want to give you a further one and share a fourth attitude, which is at even on a higher level. And, and I'm not sure if maybe the Samaritan also had this attitude. He could have had this fourth attitude as well. And this is a, this is a high-level attitude, which I'm going to challenge all of us to consider and to embrace. And here it is. Number four. What is mine is not mine. And I'm going to manage it. We're going to stop a little bit now. Yeah? Okay? What is mine is not mine. And I'm going to manage it. You see, it is easy to give away what does not belong to you, isn't it? When people struggle to give to God, it indicates that they don't understand that it is not theirs anyway. Listen, do you believe what the Bible says? <clears throat> you can answer back. Do you believe what the Bible says? <laughs> what about you guys online? Do, do, do you believe it? Huh? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's find out. Listen to Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1. If we could grasp just this one verse, it would change our lives radically. If you could understand it, understand the meaning and the repercussions of this one verse. Oh, man. Yeah, just look at it. The earth is the Lord's. And a couple of things on it. What? Oh. Oh, yeah, oh, yes, yes, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and some of the people who live in it. Am I wrong again? What? Oh, yes, okay. Let's try again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all. Who live in it. It's an amazing thing. In the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, in the Hebrew, this word all means everybody. It means all. Because that's what all means. And so, if the Bible says that all who live in the world belong to God, means you are owned by God. If it says that everything on the earth belongs to the Lord, it means that my cup here <laughs> is not my cup. It's the Lord's. Am I right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You see what I mean? If we can grasp this. Oh, but pastor, so many people in the world are not honoring God. They are sinners. They hate God. Don't even know about God. Doesn't change the fact that they are the Lord's. You see, and that's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> you see, how much is the Lord's according to this verse? Everything. And if everything is His, then what I own and what I have or think I have is actually His. So if, if I am to believe and embrace this verse as a Bible believer, as a follower of Christ, then I have to accept the fact that my house is actually his house. And my car is his car. 
that my wife belongs to him, my daughter, my son belongs to him, and that everything that I think I have is actually his. Because God claims to have complete ownership of the universe. And you find this throughout scripture. In, in Psalm 89, the Lord says that he owns all that the world contains. In 1 Corinthians 10, 26, it says that God owns it all. In Revelation 4, 11, it says that God is worthy to be praised because he created and owns all things. God owns it all. And if God owns everything, then you and I, we owe own nothing. God claims complete ownership of his creation. Therefore, there are no other owners. And so, as believers, we have to have a biblical perspective of ownership. And I'm going to kind of rush quickly because a lot we could say here, but it comes down to this. If I don't own it, then what am I doing with it? I am a steward. You see, from the beginning... God has placed us as stewards of what is His. I am supposed to manage what God has entrusted to me. So my house, my car, my wife, my kids, I am supposed to manage that because it is actually His. I'm supposed to look after it. Psalm 8 says that God created man a little lower than the angels to rule His works. In other words, I am a steward, and I'm supposed to manage what God has created. What is a steward? Stewardship is managing the assets of another. So by manage, managing means protecting, looking after, and increasing or expanding. If I take my money and I give it to someone to manage that money, I expect them to look after that money and to multiply that money. So that when I come back a couple of years later, he gives me back my money with interest. He's managing my money. So when God gives us stuff to manage, he wants us to look after it, to protect it, and to expand it. In other words, to pull out of it maximum potential. There is potential in what you've got. There is potential in your children. There is potential in your spouse. And how many people squash one another? How many spouses kill the other's motivation or drive? or gifts, or talents. We break each other down. Instead of encouraging one another. Instead of extracting the best of one another. Guys, we are stewards. We are to manage for God. And you understand, it's not just about money. Money is one slice of the pie. There's so much more that you have to manage, and grow, and expand, and protect. And God has equipped man to do this. Genesis 1.26 Genesis 1.26 says, Then the Lord said, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, all over all the creatures that move along the ground, all the animals and hoches and things. God has made us to rule. Now, one thing you don't find in this verse is God does not say God created man to manipulate one another. Huh? To make slaves of our own. Uh -uh. We're supposed to be together in this. We are co-managers of what God has created. And if we've got it all wrong because of our selfishness, because I think this is all there is, I want to hold it, and therefore I keep you away, and I break you down, and, and I want it all for myself. Huh? He says, God made it in our image. In other words, an image is like a mirror, all right? So mankind was to mirror God on earth. Likeness, similar God made us similar to him. 
You see, God has a free will. God can create stuff. God can do beautiful things. Mankind has been given the same abilities. Huh? We've got free will. You can choose what to do. We've got the ability to create. Okay, God can create out of nothing. We need something to start off with. But we can, cre- we can create beautiful art, beautiful music, beautiful architecture, beautiful food. <laughs> All right? We can create. He's even given us the power to create life. Look at that. Beautiful. The back there, not the brand new baby. God has made us in his likeness. And he has given us the ability to rule. He has given us a purpose under God to rule, to manage, to protect and increase what is under his authority. Amen. We are supposed to do this under his guidance and his authority. Now, when God is creating or renewing the earth, every day at the end, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. Eventually, when he brought Eve into the picture and Adam and Eve were there and it was all finished, God said, it is very good. It gave God pleasure to look at his creation and look at his management team. Guys, as stewards, God's, God expects his people to expand what he created. At the end of the sixth day, he says it is very good. And what God wants is his stewards to keep him feeling good about his creation. God's desire is to look at this earth and say, ah, it is good. And he's given you and I that authority and that responsibility. Amen? He has placed in creation everything we need to do life. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive. Huh? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, everything we have was given to us by God, and yet we boast as if it was ours. Oh, we worked so hard for it. Oh, look what I did. It was given to you, man. Your ability, your intelligence, your health, your strength, your insight, your creativity, it was given to you. Why are you boasting about it? Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, God gave Adam a sphere of influence. He's given you and me a sphere of influence. And listen, and he had to work. This is before the fall. In paradise, Adam had to work. Work is good, people. Work is not a curse. Some people say, ah, because of sin, now we have to work. No, 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 no. He was working before the curse. Work is good. Brings meaning, brings pleasure, brings joy, and gives joy to the Lord. Because our work is to to look after what God has created and given us. It is a sin not to maximize the potential God has given you. To work it out. To use and expand what God has given you. Amen? So it is good. Work is a good thing. But God put a tree that can kill you in that garden. And commanded him not to eat from that tree. A tree of knowledge of good and evil. That tree was like an information center. You want to find about good and evil? You go to this tree. (laughs) Alright? Now if there's a tree of knowledge, of information, 
Why did God forbid Adam to eat from it? You see, because God wanted the basis of man's knowledge not to be reason. If you go to the tree, the tree is going to give you knowledge. Good, evil, it's going to be reasonable, it's going to reason out with you, you know, it's going to be earthly and so forth. God did not want this tree to give man knowledge of good and evil. He wanted man to come to God. And God wanted to reveal to man the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil must be a revelation from God, not something that you Google. That tree, is a, uh, is a preacher calls that tree the Google tree. Because in Google, you find out good things and evil things, isn't it? You know, there's good and evil. And some people, they go to Google for everything. Like that tree. God wants to be a revelation. Yeah, listen, he's given us a brain, definitely. And we must think and think logically. But above that must come revelation from God. Because revelation from God gives you true insight in what is good and evil. What is right, what is wrong. What should or should not be done. You see, the worst thing a man can do, a manager can do, is to put his human thinking and intellect on God's property. Because some of the things God wants us to do make no human sense. The demands of God, the laws of God, they do not make sense to us. And so we have to reveal, we have to receive revelation from him to do stuff down here so that he can produce what he wants it to produce. So, God gave Adam and mankind a free will. And with that came the power to resign from management. In Luke 4, Jesus is talking about what he saw happen to Satan. He says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Bah! You see, before mankind was there, angels were there, looking after God's property. But then Lucifer managed to convince a third of the angels to rebel against God. He wanted to become the big, big shot. He wanted to be the almighty one. He wanted to be the owner. He wanted to own that which he did not create. And he quickly found out why God is called the almighty God. Because you're scat off from heaven. But what happened? Adam, who was now manager of this new earth that God had created in Genesis 1, he handed over management to Satan. And so you find in Luke chapter 4, when, when Jesus is being tempted, that uh, Satan says, Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms, because they are mine to give. Since when does Satan own kingdoms? He owns them because Adam gave them over to him. He submitted himself to Satan, and Satan became the manager. Jesus came to claim back what had been lost in Eden. And he's given us now the authority to manage this planet. When he comes back, it will be the final chapter when he comes to rule and reign. But right now, you and I as his followers are supposed to manage this planet, manage our sphere of influence under the direction of the kingdom of God. But for that, intimacy with God is necessary. You see, Adam and Eve, or any couple, when you produce children, intimacy is necessary. Intimacy produces pregnancy, and pregnancy results in something brand new that was not there when you began with. And God gave this earth to Adam and Eve, and out of intimacy with God, we are supposed to become pregnant with stuff 
and create things that were not there before under the guidance and authority of God. God wants to create things, do things on this earth through you and through me. But we need intimacy with him because out of that is going to come the flow. When we don't do this, people submit to the management of the devil. This world is in chaos because of that. So many people have good motives, but they make bad decisions because it's not coming from a place of intimacy with God and from a steward relationship. They think they have a right to make decisions even though the owner <laughs> has not given permission. Listen to Psalm 115, 14 to 16. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord. May the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of heaven and earth, the highest heavens belong to God, but earth he has given to mankind. Earth he has given to mankind. It is desire for you to flourish. But you have the right. You've got the ability. You've got the the, the willpower you've been given, you know, the, the, the ability to choose things, to make choices. And you can say, no, I'm not going to manage for God. Yeah, let it be. It's our choice. And God has given us that freedom. You know, I said just now, you own a house. And many people here own houses, but in fact, you don't own your house. The bank owns your house, right? <laughs> it's only when you pay your house off and then they give you the title deed, then it's yours. But that house that you own, the bank doesn't care what you do with that house. It's your house. As long as you're paying them, it's fine. And you can take care of your house or you can let your house get run down. Now, God has given you management for the time you're on earth. It's up to you what to do with it. You can resign. You can give up on managing for God. You can waste everything he's given you. It's not going to stop you. So the question is, what are we going to do? Are you going to just... By default, let the devil run everything, or are we going to assume our responsibility as managers? Huh? In closing, our call is to stewardship, because nothing really belongs to us. It is all grace. It is all God's. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6 says the following, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in with your bodies. Listen, not even your body is your own. And you thought you owned your body. The Bible says, no, you're not, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God owns everything, including your body. Well, if he owns everything and everybody on the earth, it stands to reason. And so honor God with your bodies in the way you live, in the way you conduct yourself. The way you think about yourself. Now remember, again, from the beginning when I said, what do you own? And how many of you, you still think that list you made is your own? <laughs> now you may think it is your own and you may live this life as if it is your own. It will not change the fact that God owns it and that one day you are going to have to give an account to him because he remains the owner. Huh? Why is being a steward so important? And now that is what we're going to find out next week in the message, Payday is Coming. Amen? So don't miss that. You're going to continue this, this, this topic uh, next week. Amen? We're going to pray and then enjoy coffee and a time of fellowship. And as you leave, do not forget 
to put your name down for the budgeting seminar. Just bow your heads in prayer. Father, this is your word, Lord. And, and, and for some of us, you know, it's, it's something we know, but maybe something which had become a bit out of focus because of just the, 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 hassle, the, the hassle of life, the hassle, the rush, the pressures of life, Lord, and struggling to survive. And sometimes we forget these precious truths. Lord, and so today, we want to come before you. I want to bring this congregation before you. Everybody listening, everybody watching online, Lord God. And Lord, help us, please, to, to change our perspective. Help us again ponder on these things. And to make that shift, Lord, to understand that everything we are, everything we have, everything we own is actually yours, Lord. And we are called to manage it. So help us to manage it wisely for your glory, Lord. We'd love for you to look down upon our lives and say, hey, it is good. Thank you for blessing your people, Lord. So now may the love of God the Father the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and me as we go forth and be good stewards of God's property. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Enjoy your coffee. Make sure you sign up for the seminar if you haven't done so yet. And we'll see you next Sunday for exciting continuation of this topic. Amen.